before we go into this, do you have his permission to oh, uh, give care. away his he doesn't his care. brand? He doesn't mind. Um, he signed a non-disclosure agreement before he left the podcast. I know for a fact he didn't, because I <laughs> fucking didn't. You, you don't know that you did, but you did. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are in San Diego. How's it going? Cassidy <laughs> Robinson, uh, you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. It's going fine. How are you? Well... It's weird... This is a... <laughs> it's not a good start. A little clinical. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to bring up at the top of the show that in our Marco Polo group, We've talked about it a lot. It's a closed group. Sorry, listeners, you can't join. But that that's a private party. That is um, I don't even know if our listeners know what Marco Polo is. It's not a super It's not a cool app. app. It is <laughs> yeah, it is not what the kids are using these days. But no, I uh we were talking amongst ourselves as friends and everyone's kind of been ignoring it this week. Everybody who's in the group. Yeah, um, I, it's a, been a low like Low energy couple weeks, yeah, I think. Not a lot of correspondence. But one thing came up that I was hoping everybody would jump in on because I thought it was kind of fun. Richard, uh, previous co-host of when this podcast used to be called Jabber and the Drone, he came up with this idea of like uh, what his horror host character would be like in an old television presentation style, you know. When he did. I meant to jump on this, but like uh, I just – I. I haven't had time, and then I'll forget. And uh, yeah, right. this, this was a pretty fun conversation. It was, it, well, it was the the potential for a fun conversation that nobody <laughs> that nobody joined in on. But I enjoyed uh, you guys' things, and then I, <laughs> I, I I had every intention of get jumping in on it. I just like based it. Well, we're gonna it. get get you on the record right now. But first, of all, I'll I'll say what his and my what his and mine were. Um, he first brought up the idea. So for people who are much younger than us. Back in the day in cable television land, uh, they would have like horror hours on like, you know, movie networks, not like your HBOs or your Showtimes or like the extended packages, but AMC back before they were of the prestige television network um, and uh, USA, TNT, those kind of things that would show movies around seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Sometimes on the weekends, they'd have a horror night or later at night and they would mm-hmm. have a host. And this this actually goes back even further than that, back on regular liked, television. Uh, uh, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I always liked uh, Dinner and a Movie. Dinner and a Movie was on, fun. I think it was. Do on they still do TNT that? TNT or I? No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know either. Um, but you know, Joe Bob Briggs, who now has a show on Shutter, he was he did it for our generation. But back in the day, you had Elvira. Before mm-hmm. her, Vampirella. And they would just basically come and give you little factoids or whatever about the movie Fright between Night, commercials. Uh, Fright Night kind of parodied this with, right. with the idea with, of the show Fright Night. Um, mm-hmm. Gremlins 2 parodies this with oh, like the Dracula guy. Right, exactly. So this was a thing for a while. Uh, kind of started in like the 50s with like B-movies I would show late on late at night. And- I think it was, it was a big cable thing though. Like... Well, that's I, where I it, that's where it drifted to because regular networks started stopped showing movies and started showing original yeah. programming instead. But Richard's idea for his character, who would give little factoids or whatever in between commercials, was a redneck werewolf who would be sitting out on the deck on like a rocking chair, kind of like a hillbilly uh, werewolf. Fun, fun idea. Mm-hmm. And mine was because I didn't think I could really pull off being like a zombie or a werewolf or something that was like cool or fun. So I would want to be uh, basically myself. I'd just be a stuff shirt film critic, like you would see more on like TCM, like what with Ben Mankiewicz when he does basically the same thing but without the mm-hmm. gimmick. I'd be that, except for I would be attacked and killed by monsters every commercial. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked yours. I, I really like the idea of like 
coming back from commercial and you're dead, but you're still like talking about like your guts are being eaten by a right. creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, you know, and then you're just like, in 1957, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, so what, what would your horror host character be? So my comedy persona is um, a, a classy buffoon, uh, if you will. Um, you, you've already figured out your type. Are you talking about in the regular comedy world or just in this scenario? Just just in general, my general stage presence, your my vibe is kind of yeah. this. Anyway, so I, I like that idea of um, I always liked like the Vincent Price style. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would be, you know, in the plush, uh, like smoking jacket um, in a like a big red leather chair like you know how like that idea of this library kind of vibe the right, uh, right, right. the whole oh i didn't see you there kind of thing um <laughs> is always one of my favorite dumb gags right or like uh, uh boris karloff in black sabbath the uh mario bava triptych i guess same uh, kind of thing <laughs> yeah uh so i would do that but in like maybe like a haunted library Fun. And and maybe with some puppets, uh, you know, like some ghost puppets or whatever, who kind of co-host with me. So it's like, like at first, if you were tuning in, you'd think it's elevated, but then it's not very quickly. So this is like a little bit of like Vincent Price meets MS3TK. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Like, I don't like without going in the movie and making fun exactly, of it. Exactly. Yeah, but there would up be to like that point because there was like exactly. little interstitial parts in Mystery Science as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's like that's mostly what. Yeah, that would because I wasn't thinking of like commenting on the movies or anything. But right. yeah, like have these like sort of puppety characters. You know, <laughs> maybe a ghost, maybe some kind of monster. Uh, like kind of. Did you ever see the the Netflix? The Curious Creations of Christine O'Connell or whatever. I have zero idea what you're talking about. So she had this vibe that was like, it was like a Martha Stewart kind of craft show, but haunted. That's uh, You know, it was like spooky, Halloween-y themed, and she had these puppet co-hosts. So like, I just liked that vibe of the, the puppets. All right. I like yeah. puppets. I mean, that's pretty much what I've, what I've learned. Um... <laughs> Okay, good. Well, we got you on the record for that. It's a longer explanation than I thought we would need, but there we are. This episode, <laughs> I didn't mention this at the top of the show. Maybe I'll move this. Um, but uh, this episode, we are going to be reviewing Promising Young Woman, which was, uh, I guess, technically a 2020 film, but a lot of people are catching up with it now and mm-hmm. is up for Golden Globe Awards. They were just announced today. Um, which it'll probably, I would imagine, have some sort of presence in the the rest of the award season. And we will also be talking about, uh, what was the movie reviewed? Mother by Mother. Bong Joon-ho. I'm going to do that every time. I, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, by Bong Joon-ho, a South Korean film. And it's another one of those weird weeks where the movies were more similar than I originally had planned. And, uh. Definitely, like, we'll get into it, but there's there's some, uh, you know, unintentional film festival programming that happened there. Yeah, uh, not like when we wa- reviewed Soul and Underwater last week. No, that one, not, not quite as much. Um, but uh, the first segment that I wanted to get into now, there was something that was trending on Twitter last week, and it was supposed to be the four coming-of-age movies that define you. Whatever that means. But we don't have the time for that. So let's do the three coming-of-age movies that define you. And I'll let you uh, explain your three first. Gotcha. So I'm just listing all three yeah, type of fire? Yeah, you know, with with uh, some explanation. Yeah, but, uh, you know, and define you, I don't know what that means. So it could have direct parallels to your life, or it could just mean these ones that meant a lot to you for whatever reason... You know, I don't know. Or you saw that watched the most. I don't know. I'll let you decide what defines you means. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I, this one might apply to you too. I don't know. Um, but my first one is Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, um, interesting. Because we're both from Idaho. 
That movie has Idaho vibes for days. Yeah. Um, Southeast uh, Idaho vibes, specifically. Yeah. We, I mean, we know people who were in the movie. We, yeah. It was 15 minutes away from our hometown where they filmed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just always related to that one. Just the idea of, I don't know, this, like, big movie, this culturally very big movie um, coming out of Southeast Idaho was like, I don't know, I was always kind of a little proud of it. Um, yeah. And it's funny in a weird, quirky, like, dry way. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, Napoleon Dynamite was Do you one. remember going to see that? Yeah. Yeah, because we went and saw it together. Uh, we mm-hmm. were living together, I think, around that time. And we didn't know that it was filmed in Idaho when we saw it. We didn't know. I don't remember that. I saw the, the trailers on MTV because MTV distributed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that it had the guy from the Drew Carey show in it, and it had uh, What's Your Face from Waterworld. Um, so you know more about it than I did. I, just I mean, that's like... all I knew. I and I thought it took place in the eighties because of the way the trailer looked and everything. So <laughs> nope, I, that's just Idaho. We went. We went A to go. Walk, we went to go see it at, at our big theater, and it was packed. And uh, there was a point in the in the movie when they're like doing like 4-H stuff and or whatever, mm-hmm. or it might be like it might be a scene in the principal's office where you can see like an Idaho plaque and he talks about the gem state and we just look at each other like what the fuck is this was this filmed here and then you know we learn everything about the movie after but I remember that moment where we were both like what is going on. I actually don't remember that. I ju- like I just remember going to see it basically, but uh yeah. I I don't remember. Oh man, I'm I'm going to have Alzheimer's real bad and it's going <laughs> to suck. Uh the next one I picked was uh Ghost World. Mm. Um because I think this one I just relate to it's still funny, but it is a lot darker. Yeah. Um a little more moody. And as a teenager, I think I could just relate to that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, just that this movie is like the epitome of a, a coming of age movie for outsiders. Um, a lot of coming of age movies are made for outsiders. Um, yeah, including the outsiders. Well, I th- you know, I think some, I think some coming of age movies just tap into that a little bit more. I, I think there's just something about the idea of coming of age that is like you're gonna feel like an outsider because you don't know what the right. fuck is alienation is always kind of a theme of, of these types of stories and yeah it's always about I mean, finding yourself or defining yourself in some sort of way and that usually is by defining what you're not yeah and uh one of the reasons i like ghost world and i think i related to it is it, also that one uh there it's not like the kind of coming of age movie where it's like we have to get this shit figured out by graduation. Like right. they, you know, they're a little bit older, um, and and just a little kind of drifting. Um, yep. and I just, I don't know, I related to that. I went through a drift, uh, drift period. Yeah, I think when I when I originally saw it, I related more with the Enid character. And now I relate far more to the Seymour character, the <laughs> the, uh, the Steve Buscemi role in the film. That movie's super depressing, and it's uh, essentially, I mean, yes, it's an it's a it's a uh, coming of age film, uh, broadly speaking, but it's essentially a film about depression, and yeah. it's uh, it's 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 funny in all the ways you would expect it to be, but it's also gets pretty real it does it, it i mean and that's kind of a, again you know if i'm getting three picks like you know it tonally is very different than napoleon dynamite but i don't think yeah that necessarily means that i relate to it any less you know what i mean right you know and and i you know we've all had some feelings in high school for sure um uh yeah so i just i Found it very relatable. And then the last one I'm going to say is definitely the most poppy one. Um, the, my last pick was 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, okay. Probably just because this is was 
I don't want to say the closest to my high school experience, but like... <laughs> when Letters to, to Cleo played on your roof that one time, it was pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just the general vibe of it, of like... You got the marching band to play for you so that you could profess your love for somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> not not the details, obviously, and I'm pretty sure it took place in California. It takes place um, in Seattle. Really? It's actually a big part of it, yeah. Oh, the weather's so nice. It's been a while since I've seen it's, it. But, they found um, like the three days of no rain to film that movie, but. <laughs> it looks very nice and appealing. Yeah. Um, uh, I also, I just think this was probably one of the ones I saw the most in high school because it's just, uh, uh, and what I mean when I'm talking about the vibe is just like, it's just a perfectly like inoffensive movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's charming, but not too funny. Like I wouldn't say it's hilarious, but it's not body. Um, it's just it's just kind of a, a just kind of a chill movie. And yeah. uh, largely, my high school experience was was pretty chill, like pretty drama free. Nothing too traumatizing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that yeah, and that movie came out I think in ninety nine. Yeah, so it was like right when we were hitting high school. Right, so it was perfect time for us to find that movie, and uh, but it, it also sort of like it kind of has a it's like sort of a post clueless thing. Obviously, they just talked about this on a podcast I listened to, but it's sort of a post clueless movie, but it also has some like '90s alt vibes going on with it. Yes, too. yeah. So it's totally. not um, as uh, syrupy as some of the like post 2000 stuff yeah and it's yeah. not like and a then, straight up sex comedy like the american pie movies exactly which you know i saw those as well but i yeah. did not relate to them at not all, nearly you know? as much no yeah all right uh, cool good list. what are your coming of age movies all right um i'm surprised we have no overlap i was also kind of trying to think of stuff you might pick um so. stuff that i wouldn't pick you mean well, I actually, I thought maybe you would pick Ghost World, but... Um, That's a good one. I actually didn't, it, I didn't think of it, and I might have had I. Um, okay, first on the list is Carrie, uh, Brian okay. film. <laughs> Jesus Christ, so, I can see where this I is I guess I, I should have been able to say, yeah. <laughs> um, that's maybe the darkest of the three, but I'm saying maybe. Uh, oh, Jesus. So, there, you know, it doesn't have to just be a a traditional coming of age story where everyone lives at the end. It could also be a, there's coming of age in horror and sci-fi and other genres as well. I actually almost picked a scream for one of mine. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But so Carrie's a big movie. I've, I've seen that. I've talked a lot about Carrie on this podcast, so I'll I'll try not to too much, but Mm -hmm. I think if anyone has ever been picked on, if you ever had a bad year in either middle school or high school, or a bad term for that entire period. Um, I never got as bad as someone throwing pig's blood on me, but I was definitely, <laughs> you know, bullied for a little while there. And definitely outsider, um, didn't feel like I fit in. You know, I had I went to different high schools and stuff, and there was one high school I did not fit into nearly as much, the one closer to the uh, to where they filmed Napoleon Dynamite. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. It was crazy. You killed all those kids with your psychic knives. I know, and then I had to go to the had to go to Century High with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, I mean, I think if you've ever been in that position, the Carrie character is incredibly sympathetic, and it's hard not to see yourself in it. The film is also um, a very big queer allegory. A lot of people have written a lot about it in those terms. Um, specifically the scenes of where she's like at the library looking up what telekinesis is. I think mm. every queer person has gone through, through the research period of their life. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, and things like that. So there's a lot of ways in which I connect to the movie. And then also it's just a brilliant fucking movie. And even though it's a horror film and and everyone dies at the end, I do kind of see it as in a sort of an uh, an empowering Kind of film. Careful, you're about to end <laughs> up on some watch lists. <laughs> that already happened long ago. Um, okay, second one on here, and this one might be a little bit more obvious. Uh, almost Famous. Oh, okay. Um, I, this was another one that I almost picked. You almost picked, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's another film we know somebody in. Uh, yeah. But 
yes, obviously, you know, being into media, you know, writing, criticism, things like that. Um, a lot of people who know me personally know that I'm almost just as into music as I am movies. I just kind of steered it in this direction, um, you know, career-wise or whatever, if you if that's what you want to call this. Yeah, so I, I super related to the uh, Patrick Fuga character in that. I didn't, like, you know, get to tour with a band or anything like that or fall in love with a groupie. But, um, but it certainly... Didn't we was... all fall in love with that groupie a little bit, though? <laughs> We've all had our penny lanes. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that the movie is super, super relatable, even though it is a little bit of a of a fantasy of sorts. I mean, it wasn't for Cameron Crow. I mean, you know, he kind of did do all that, but, but yeah, I found that movie to be super relatable. Um, specifically the scene where Patrick Fugit calls Philip Seymour Hoffman as the, uh, the older music critic and he's freaking out. He's, you know, he's in love with this girl who doesn't want him or, you know, unrequited thing or whatever. He's trying to finish the story and can't, and uh, he's just telling him, he's like, you're not cool. You're not going <laughs> to be cool. People like us are never cool. And again, even though that's it's a great, it's a it's great, a great uh, monologue. Monologue. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman at like the height of his powers. Yeah. And, and it, it, he's a scene stealer in that film for sure. But even though that that's, you could be seen as sort of like a bummer message. I actually found that super empowering. And it was like, oh, I don't have to try to be anything. Yeah. I don't, like, the idea of cool is so beyond what I'm capable of that I can just relax in whatever. Which, of course, is infinitely more cool than trying to be cool anyway. Mm, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> cool is cool. <laughs> yeah, but I everybody, I think, hopefully hits that age where... You know, it's like you kind of stop giving a fuck. Like, right. You just ease up. You you, you let your guard down and you sort yeah. of you figure out what you are, which is, of course, what all coming age of movies are about. Uh, the last one on my list is SLC Punk. Oh, this, shit. Yeah. This film's super imprinted on me, um, as yeah. all of these have. But um, this one uh, we watched um, at a pretty young age and... Mm. Uh, it was one of those ones I always kind of went back to and I watched a lot. And not only does it have a great coming of age story and, you know, the idea of like, you know, these, these, and again, this is sort of weirdly local because we're yeah. not, we weren't that far away from Salt Lake. Uh, you know, it's about these kids who uh, were, were punks in the eighties. And it's the story of this main character who, you know, sort of finds himself on the other side of that. And, you know, his whole ideology kind of gets flipped upside down in the process of these experiences he has with his friends. But, and that's not even necessarily the most um, relatable part of it for me, but yeah, I, I just think like that the year that changed it all kind of, narrative yeah. is very strong in that film and, well, and and this is this movie is like unlike some coming of age movies which are very like you know you sort of find yourself by the end of it yeah this is i think one of the harsher ones of like the you know sometimes growing up as thrust upon you mm -hmm. um and you you know it sometimes it, it just has it just happens like you just and it's it's the least apologetic about that than I think any of the ones we've mentioned before. Yeah. Um, because it's just like this is one of those movies where it, it's about life coming at you as fast as life can, and whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Exactly, and and you can either adapt to that or what you know what is the alternative. So um, no, that that's a great choice. I actually. I didn't even think about that one. That one's a, a really good one. I thought for sure you were going to say Clueless, and I was going to put a moratorium <laughs> on you mentioning Clueless. On I put this one podcast. on myself. I put one okay. on myself. There's All others right. I could have said as well, but didn't. Um, but yes, of course, also uh, the soundtrack to that movie um, really set me on a path as well. Because 90% of what I listen to, um, in some ways, I can trickle back to that soundtrack. The so, SLC Punk soundtrack? Yeah. Yeah. Over yeah. the years. No, that's a that's a great movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. 
Um, all right. Well, that was fun. Let's go ahead and... Was it? Now I feel all weird. <laughs> they put you in a place? Yeah. They put you in a funk? <laughs> a little bit. We got to deal with some stuff? Yeah, I, I have to come of some age. Ooh, <laughs> that sounded gross. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the next... Uh, the, Speaking of... The big uh, review of the week. Um, Promising Young Woman. I'll let you uh, describe what's happening here. So, Promising Young Woman is about... Cassandra, played by Carrie Mulligan, who she dropped out of med school because of uh, a traumatic event that happened to her friend, specifically getting and taken advantage of while she was um, drunk, passed out. Um, At a frat party. Yeah. And uh, after the. Uh, I, I guess this might be kind of spoilers. Ooh. Um, well, this uh, is going to be a touchy film to talk about because. It's a sort of a blossoming, blossoming sort of plot structure. So yeah, you're always yeah. kind of finding out more. But, um, you know, I think you can get into whatever happens in the first third. Anyway, so after this, she is just kind of aimless and seeking revenge on men. Uh, the type of men that would take advantage of a woman like that. So she goes to bars and she, or strip clubs, or or wherever, like seedy nightclubs, whatever, anywhere there's like a night scene, um, and she'll pretend like she is passed out drunk um, until some guy eventually uh, finds her, offers to be the nice guy, and takes her home, and then tries to take advantage of her, um, and then she gets um, some psychological revenge on them through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's basically the setup of the movie. This is the the premise. Um, uh, along the way, she meets this this guy um, Ryan, played by Bo Burnham, who you know makes her you know she starts to fall in love and she starts to rethink her her path of vengeance and and think right. you know that she can kind of she maybe... allows herself to be vulnerable again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and. I knew nothing about this movie going in, so I didn't even know as much as we've described so far. All okay. I knew is it had a big cast, a lot of people were talking about it, had no idea what it was, really. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't know that, um, because yeah, I think I... the cool thing about this movie is the reveals and how slowly it kind of lets you know more and more. It holds all of the information very close to its chest. And yeah, I I saw the trailer, and I think that kind of ruined some stuff for me. See, I, I um, didn't see anything. Uh, because the trailer is really cashy, really hooky, um, and really... I mean, it it sort of establishes this premise of... Her opinions, uh, sc- guys. Like, scorned woman getting revenge kind of thing. Um, and... Really, I think the movie's more interesting than that, um, than just that. It's more nuanced than that. That's for sure. Yes. Um, and I think that some people might be taken aback by the nuance. Well, it's it's kind of funny because there's some things that it's very blunt about, and it's yeah. it's it's making no qualms about calling out men. This is definitely a Me Too era film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that's all, you know what's in the zeitgeist has inspired a lot of it, and it also is kind of like playing on the tradition of the rape revenge genre. Yeah, yeah, but in a very like different way, modern than, sort than, of like progressive way. Yeah, yeah. instead of a, a guy whose you know wife or whatever was raped and he has to go kill them, it's like it's a lot more sensitive than that. Yes and no. <laughs> well, yeah. Because this, I, I mean, this movie has a bite. and I, I will say, yeah, going into this, I mean, I'm sure you already gathered from our review so far, but like trigger fucking warning oh, uh, yeah. for this movie. Yeah. If, if, if you need content warnings and things like that, this might not be the movie for you. Um, yeah, it's it's there's some hard stuff. They, I mean, I will say that, show yeah, there lot, isn't a but... ton on camera. They don't even really describe 
the worst of it in great detail. It sort of leaves that up to your imagination. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not I, hard that, to that, make those connections. And that's almost, in some ways, kind of worse. Like, but uh, okay, but that's, that's a, something. That's I, one of the ways I think that it's subverting that rape revenge genre. Because one of the things about he, that genre, which you know largely came from the world of exploitation, um, yeah. was yes, it's making the woman. Sometimes it was the husband of the woman. Sometimes it was just a woman herself, like an I spit on your grave or something like that, where. Mm-hmm. It's kind of empowering them to sort of take their own revenge, but at the same time, it's sort of exploiting the sex yeah. and violence aspect of it as well. So, and there were a lot of movies in like late 60s, early 70s that played around with this, even up through sort of the slasher era and stuff like that, that would tug of war between exploitation and, and you know, sort of like, I guess, the budding, unintentional empowerment um yeah this movie sort of i think subverts that by never exploiting the sex in yes, the film i agree um almost i think it's almost a sexless film get, considering that the film is largely about that and it also is subverting it by who we see in these male dominant roles it's not mm-hmm. it's not the usual like frothing at the mouth redneck with his fly halfway done you know it's these dorky it's it's guys that are typically cast as like the charming best friend characters best friend or the the yeah it is or the high school nerd or whatever it's a it's this kind of like post college dorky stuff i mean you have yeah like Adam, we've got Adam Brody in the cast. We've mm-hmm. got, um, uh, oh gosh, um, Christopher Mintz-Plass. Yeah, yeah, which he was a little more openly, uh, sleazy, but like Max Greenfield, Chris Lowell, like, yeah. you know, normally these are the kind, uh, 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 kind of guys who you like, you know, like they get tapped to play the Bo Burnham part of like, Mm-hmm. The the sensitive guy who's different than everybody else kind of thing. So, like... Right. Yeah. Uh, but in this, they are actively predators, which um, I I thought was a really smart, uh, smart choice. Like, also, the way this movie, like you said about how it leaves a lot up to the imagination, it also, like, it has this way of, like... Um, like uh, there's a there's a point in the film where uh and I don't want to say too much but there there's there's something revealed the way it's done you know the reveal's going to happen but you hope it doesn't but you know it is and and the the movie has this way of like playing with that expectation of like you know would you believe these stories or like it puts you in that place of like having to be the judge. Mm. Uh, It's having some real moral arguments here. And it's even though the movie is unapologetic in its depiction of rape culture Mm -hmm. um, and uh, misogyny, that part is off the table as far as discussion goes. But it does play around with the idea of the morality of the central character. Because yeah, yes, but but also to be, I want to clarify something there. It doesn't play around with the uh, morality of the victim. No, um, because she is the friend of the victim. So it's it's not a matter of like it, it's not a matter of seeing this this victim get a justified revenge. It's seeing someone who, while they are so close to the situation, are are still outside of it. Right, uh, and it, I don't think that the movie ever believes that what she's doing is a good thing, even yes. if even if it is justified, even if it is sympathetic. Like you understand why she's doing it, the conditions well, and, that and, would create for this. I think that she is still a morally complicated character, which no, makes absolutely. it a more interesting movie. And and but the point I was making was just like the the point isn't. They, they never make a point of questioning the victim. Like, no. we know what happened. It happened. Like, that is stated very matter-of-factly. Um, it is 
like there's no ambiguity there as far right. as as uh yeah and that's more what i was referring to is just like she you know the the actual victim like that that trauma belongs to her and and that right. trauma spreads uh but it's not a matter of uh, he said, she said kind of thing. It is Right. Like, There's no question of whether or not this thing yes. happened. It definitely did. I like that it it never puts you in that position of like, of not believing the victim because it, it states it as uh, implicit fact. But what's, explicit. what's interesting about the, 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 the structure of the film and the way that it's, you know, we never actually see the victim. She's yes. not in the movie. Mm-mm. She never gets to tell her story. Yeah. We hear it secondhand, which again is not to say that it's not to be believed or you know, it's definitely written in such a way that you know it happened, but she's always sort of one step removed from this entire plot. So, mm-hmm. I wonder if there was a version of this screenplay where she was the victim and they wondered I, if it would be too difficult for the audience to get that moral ambiguity if she's directly if she was directly victimized you know what i mean yeah i i mean i didn't i don't really think too much about that um because it felt i mean the movie is so well thought out yeah that yeah i mean you know maybe there might have been an earlier draft but they didn't make that decision and i think that was the correct choice um for this uh, for the way that it rolls out definitely i i just think that's interesting is that She's this big character in the film, the, per- the the actual victim, the person who yes. who was taken advantage of, is a big character in the film who's never in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but she sort of hovers over the film. A couple things I wanted to say about this. I think this is the first time I've seen Bo Burnham in a movie where I thought, you are now an adult. Uh, okay, that's fair. Um, I haven't seen him in a lot of movies. I see him, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of his stand-up and stuff. Right. But I, I thought he was fucking great. Yeah, I um, grew up on Bo Burnham. Um, and I've never even, like, been a huge fan of his comedy, but he was on YouTube when he was a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, recording funny songs with a, a webcam, you know, like 340p or whatever. Like, I watched him all the way back then when he was, like, 16. Yeah. I watched his stand-up specials when he got bigger, um, sort of keeping up with whatever it is he was doing. Just recently, not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago, he released his directorial debut. Uh, mm-hmm. Eighth grade. Eighth grade, which was one of my favorite movies that year. Speaking of great coming-of-age movies, holy shit. Um, and one of the, like, best, like, movie debuts I've ever seen by a young director. Um, go see that if you haven't. Uh, and then here is the first time I've seen him in an acting role. I mean, I think he had a role in Funny People playing kind of a version of himself. But this is the first time I saw him as a, like a character where I like, oh, Bo Burnham's an adult now. Like, I knew that, obviously. But I was like, whoa, like, I actually buy you as like a young doctor. Yeah, I actually yeah. buy you as as this character and all the dimensions of this character, like he, it's a really great performance and really, really super clever casting that I wouldn't mm-hmm. have even thought of. I would have never thought like, Oh, this role is for Bo Burnham. I mean, I think the, uh, the entire cast is so well yeah. done. Uh, uh, and fucking Clancy Brown. Right. As uh, her father, her mother and father. Holy you know? shit. Like, he, I mean, if you guys aren't familiar with Clancy Brown, he's got, you know, this gravelly voice, this this face like rocks. Uh, yeah. Like, he, he typically Character gets cast actor, as, like, yeah. the the heavy or the, some kind of villain, villain. And, or, like, a general or some kind of hard ass. And, like, People probably remember just... him the most from, uh, he played a guard, like, an evil guard in the Shawshank Redemption. I would say most people probably remember him most as the Kurgan from Highlander, but that's just me. <laughs> um, he's uh, great in this. Yeah. He's so good. And I loved seeing them cast him against type as, you know, just sort of this His passive father. Yeah. Uh, simple family man. Um, uh, in, you know, I think, I think the scenes with her parents are some of the most heartbreaking in the movie. But they're kind of played for laughs, too. 
Yes, I mean, there's there's a lot of dark comedy in this movie, but it also, like, there is an underlying sensitivity to it that it it's never, like, poking fun at these people. It's just, they're just moments of, like, honesty and... and there's a bit of, there's, I don't know. Okay, so one of the things I thought about a lot while watching this was this feels like in some way genetically related to Todd Salon's movies. It's I don't know if I'm familiar enough with Todd Salon. Uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Happiness, uh, Storytelling, Life During Wartime. Um, I've only seen one of those movies, and it makes me not want to see the other. <laughs> so he was an indie guy from the 90s who did a lot of super edgy stuff. And he had this super pitch black comedy that, you know, went into really uncomfortable, like, domestic territories and things like that. But he also had kind of a weird affinity for the worst characters he could imagine writing. And some people, rightfully, you know, had a hard time sort of grappling with that juxtaposition between, like, is he toying with these characters in a way like a kid, like, pulling off the wings on a fly? Or... Does he actually like his characters? And if he does, is that a problem? Because these are pretty repugnant people. Um, mm-hmm. This movie kind of plays in that same territory, but it does so, I think, with a more kind of um, more of a moral focus, I guess, a, a more of a moral center to the film. Uh, it's it, it feels more anchored, but it does. It's more ambiguous as far as that goes than see, most I, films I've seen since his movies. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That is it, true. In a weird I, way, I, it feels like a throwback. Like, I could imagine this movie coming out more around, like, 2001 than now. I I, I mean, if the sexual politics weren't so of, of the this time. time, then I could agree with you. Like, as far as tone and stuff goes, yeah, I, I can see that. Those scenes with I, the family I mean, in particular, when she's kind of like... They're trying their hardest to, like, understand her and to be encouraging, but mm. all she sees is resentment. And yeah. the, she has her guards up so high that she's just turned it into a game they play. Like, she's pretty much, it's funny to her that, that they are ashamed of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, those kind of conversations, I was like, oh, this is so right out of, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse. I can, I mean, I can, I can see what you're saying. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. This, I mean, this movie did f- make me feel a little icky, but not in the same way. Uh, it doesn't I, go as as hard as, like, say, Happiness. I mean, few films do. I mean, do. it goes... Few there. films do, but it does go there more than movies nowadays usually do. Which is yes. to say that I think in the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen a big sanitization of... Cinema in general, American cinema especially. Totally, yeah. Um, that's why it felt like a little bit of a throwback is that I was like, ooh, this is kind of edgy. And it's also, yeah, but that- it allows itself to be funny in times when no film would ever say it's appropriate to be funny. Yes, yes. And, and all of this made it feel incredibly fresh to yes. me. Yes. Um, I, I, so it, at the beginning, I was a little... I'm not going to say disappointed, because um, that's not the right word. But I was a little, like, taken off guard. Because, again, based on the trailer, I thought this was going to be a more clear-cut sort of revenge movie. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, ready for that. Um, but the methodology behind it is so much more complicated that I ended up liking it so much more than the movie I was sort of expecting. And by the third um, act, it... It goes so many places you wouldn't that expect it to go. Fucking act. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- this movie is—it's really good, but it is also kind of a hard watch. Like it is, yeah. it uh, it will make you feel some some feelings for um, sure. You know, I think it's it's the type of movie that is good to have like a palate cleanser for afterwards. <laughs> um, but that being said, I think it is absolutely worth it, and I think. Because of all the reasons we're talking about, because it's uh, moral ambiguity, because of its um, sensitivity towards the messaging, because of its uh, uh, just the way it plays out, 
just the way the story, like the story unfolds, is incredibly good uh, storytelling, yeah. and also in a movie that has a fairly like mundane settings, you know, like um, home clubs, bars, whatever. It is shot beautifully. Yeah, um, it has a look to it, and again, like the sort of subtle stylization of the movie reminding me of those kind of movies from that time period too that like late 90s early 2000s indie film that movies that had a look but weren't you know it, other it almost movies. has a touch of that exploitive like exploitation movie quality but in a way that's like kind of fuck those movies um like just some of the framing of the shots almost remind me of like a uh like a postmodern version of that, like you'd see with Tarantino or something. Um, but this movie is like, you, but we're going to handle it a little bit differently uh, because we, that that's disgusting. And, and I thought that was in, I thought that was really cool and interesting. I agree. Yeah. Um, and thank God for this movie, if nothing else, than to give Carrie Mulligan um, a really good uh, platform to show it, everything that she can do because she's a really good actor and she's, yeah. she's done things here or there. You know, she was in Lewin Davis and a few other things, but for the most part, ever since she was nominated for an education, she's kind of slipped through the cracks of like every year is the new it girl. And it's mm -hmm. like, people just keep forgetting about her. Like, okay, but like, let's give Carrie Mulligan some, like some roles, like get, let's let give her some like, starring vehicles because she's really good um yeah. and finally here's a movie that like allows her to use her entire range totally yeah i mean yes yeah she is just so good i mean the whole cast is good but uh but yeah it really kind of lives and dies on her performance and uh she just sells the shit out of it yeah absolutely so i highly recommend it i think it's great I'm giving it an A. I, you know, I struggle to find really like any fault with it. Give it an A plus. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I'm not quite there yet with it, uh, but um, it is definitely giving me the most to think about in a long time. Uh, Yeah, I, the only thing that kind of threw me off from this movie was the marketing and my preconceived notions of what this movie was going to be. But that's not the movie's fault. Yeah. Um, and it, it took me a minute to s sort of like adjust my framework to like, to come to the movie's terms. Um, but once I did, uh, boy, howdy, do I feel like it was rewarding. I'm not a coward, so I'm going to give it an A plus. Yeah. And this is, uh, one of the best uses of, uh, Paris Hilton song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. And there's such like. There's such fun romantic comedy mo movie moments that mm -hmm. it just, it just, this movie knows exactly how to be the tragedy that it is. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the more subversive movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I know last year was kind of a light movie year, but I think one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Pretty easily. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about Mother then. Mother. All right, I'm done. Thank you. Okay, so this film was released in 2009. This is a film by Bong Joon-ho. A lot of people might remember won the uh, best picture last year for the film Parasite. Um, he's also directed Snowpiercer, Oakjaw, The Host, uh, Memories of Murder. A lot of crossover South Korean to American success. I've actually seen a lot of his his movies, which uh, makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is another revenge movie with a female central character. Mm -hmm. And it kind of plays around with sort of the procedural crime genre as well. Um, so the basic story is it takes place in sort of a small village in South Korea. Uh, and there's this young man who sort of a, a drunk and a lout and an idiot who gets in trouble with his friends and he has this very overprotective mother with whom they have kind of a weird 
not all the time appropriate relationship. Um, because mm-hmm. he is more or less an adult, I would say older teenager to early twenties, something like that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I got a, I mean, a post high school. Like this Bye. definitely feels post high school. So I, I'm thinking, you know, he's probably a twenty something. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured as well. Um, his mother is very traditional and is very protective of him, and she sees. Well, essentially, what happens is. He is pinned for a murder that happens in the town. He wanders off drunk one night and a girl is murdered and hung from the ceiling of her home uh, and with no witnesses. But he seems to be the closest to the event at the time and ends up in jail while they're trying to sort of close up the case. She is super hard on this case and believes her son 100% that he did not do it. Um, And because he was drunk that night and he doesn't remember all the details, she takes it upon herself to sort of solve this mystery and Mm. go out into the town and look at the other suspects and find whatever information she uh, can use to exonerate her son and get him out of jail. This is another like um, promising young woman a, a cell phone becomes a very prominent uh, motif. Yeah, um, yeah, in the last third. Also, also both both movies have a very noir structure, mm-hmm. um, but this one even I think even more so because it more has explicitly, that, like yeah, yeah. Um, you know the the mother does she becomes the detective. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, but she's also sort of clouded by her undying you know, devotion to her son and her family. And well, yeah, I mean, she's a, uh, she's definitely, you know, a flawed, um, vessel yeah. for justice. Right. Uh, and, and also, you know, like there's a lot of like, um, un- unreliable, like witnesses and unreliable, like, uh, sort of the help she gets along the way, you know, isn't that trustworthy. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, there's even a character who's the kid's friend who's like, "You don't trust anybody. You don't even trust me." And yeah, again, this is another one that's it's the way the story sort of unfolds. It's hard to to talk about what really got me uh, in right. this movie. Um, but if you're familiar with Bong Joon Ho's work, this feels very Bong Joon Ho. Um, it has. You know, it has a lot of comments on class and the class system. Um, it it has a lot of dark humor as well. Um, uh, I would say less has... so than his other movies, though. I tell you, in that yeah. way, it stands apart. It seems much more kind of like earnest than his his other movies, which are, have more like satire and and even like slapstick and stuff. Yeah, this one does feel a little bit more straightforward. Um, I, I mean, there is a little bit of that with um, with the sun. Yeah. Um, uh, and and even like some of the um, the main characters like devotion to her son. You know, there's moments of that that are even like you know kind of funny. Um, but it's not broadly comic. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, I I would say if you're a fan of Bong Joon Ho, you're probably gonna like this. And if you if you're a fan of the genre, uh, you know, like you're probably gonna enjoy this because he does that really well. Um, uh, he unfolds the mystery box in very satisfying ways, and then you know, there's some you know twists and turns that that uh, especially the ending make it really again cool and rewarding yeah there's a lot of hitchcockian paranoia stuff going on in this movie um and and like subjective camera work where you know we're seeing things from her perspective and she's like hiding or she's trying to like get gather this evidence illegally um and she's essentially creating crime scenes by trying to discover crime scenes yeah, um, and the, I mean the case was closed, and and she's kind of like taking it upon herself to yeah. reopen it, and it kind of just causes more trouble for everybody. Right? Yeah, it's actually making things less less direct and less easy to to solve because she's um, 
trampling all over the evidence, essentially, mm-hmm. um, by trying to find it, uh, which is... Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing uh, uh, that kind of separates it from a traditional noir is a lot of her investigation is just grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas usually a noir is is a little more straightforward of like, one clue leads to the next clue, and there's some of that. It plays but- around with that. Like, he he kind of, he always sort of is, like, playing that game of, is she just crazy? Or yeah. is she actually onto something? And, you know, he, he plays with that for the duration of the movie, for the most part. Totally, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's basically all I was trying to say. Um, no, I, again, I dug this i thought it was a really cool movie it really i think subverted a lot of like sort of the the normal tropes Mm -hmm. uh in a lot of cool ways i think just you know by virtue of who the main character was and the sort of domestic nature of it i thought was really interesting yeah um and yeah, also and sort of the a- small town everyone knows everyone aspect of it like like the small town gossip sort of becomes yeah. a complicating factor yeah which makes it you know even for an american audience i think very relatable um you know i i think sometimes little things get lost in translation with some of his movies but i think the reason he has had so much success over here is uh the overall stories are so relatable mm. and so uh you know his the his themes are so universal and he's so good at taking those and making making it feel relatable even you know even though i'm not korean like i i get a good sense of place i get a good sense of of uh this town um yeah and i think you know for the most part he plays within genre um yeah i'd say parasite maybe the least so of what i've seen of his but yeah. even that one has its like thriller moments and stuff that we're pretty familiar with over here. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the lead here, uh, Haija Kim, um, she's fantastic, and she's yeah. actually not been in as much as I would have thought because a lot of these actors are in like seventeen movies a year, and she, <laughs> she's been in some TV and she's been in a couple movies, but um, she and, the, and like has he has a tendency to. Um cast a lot of you know a lot of the same actors in a lot of his movies as well yeah yeah well i mean in general in like foreign markets you'll see the same actors pop up in a lot of movies like in, in japan as well you you tend to see the same they probably think the same thing about us or like fucking i mean brad yeah. pitt again scarlett johansson's and everything yeah but yeah she is really really good in this and of course she has to be given and again, kind of like promising young woman, she is has a kind of a complicated role because she's naive and you know earnest, and and, and that is, and I, yeah, something that is interesting about this movie is like all of these characteristics that you would think of as noble in a person, like loyalty, um, and and earnestness and all that is like is played for flaws. Yeah. In this, because she's not out for the truth. She's not out for justice. She's out to prove her son's innocence. Yeah. And that's what I think makes this a little bit different than, like, uh, uh, again, your typical uh, genre noir is, like, she has a very clear agenda yeah. that doesn't necessarily line up with uh, the ideas of you know the punishing the person who did the crime it's it is solely about getting her son free right yeah it's it's antithetical to objectivity yeah and there's also um some interesting sexual politics going on here as well because we learn more about this girl she's a teenager <clears throat> and when she's trying to you know as a female you know detective for lack of a better word she's not an actual detective but she's you know, playing the role of the detective in this mystery. And she's trying to sort of gather evidence and talk to her peers. She's learning that like everything is sort of muddy and, and there's Mm -hmm. so many possible um, suspects because of just 
the general misogyny kind of yeah. happening everywhere. Just the nature of the crime and and yeah. and the nature of of who the victim was. Like, yeah, it it is not a clear cut case at all. Yeah, but it's it's wonderfully done, and it you know it's for a movie that's as intimate as it is because mm-hmm. you know this is we're pretty much with her the whole time. We're in these very small locations. Um, he uses this really wide frame in the film. And he's able to, like, make these kind of grandiose compositions in these, like, run-down houses and shacks and streets. And yeah, you get which a few, I, like, vistas, like, in the fields and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's, you know, it's the kind of the poorer side of this culture. Well, and, and honestly, it's... Um... I, I, he does a lot of similar things with framing in Parasite mm-hmm. that that do accomplishes similar like visual language as that, um, which again leads for to a very gorgeous looking movie. Mm-hmm. Like same cinematography, movies, by the way, uh, as Parasite. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but I was gonna say both movies that we watched this week, Parasite or <laughs> no. <laughs> Both movies we watched this week, uh, Promising Young Woman and Mother, both had just gorgeous cinematography, just really good-looking movies, mm-hmm. um, which was, especially after uh, our complaints with Underwater, which was very, you know, it was very refreshing to see, like, stuff framed <laughs> yeah, in camera. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and shot in with intention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Um, so, I like this movie a lot. Uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a slightly darker, a little bit more moodier film than you normally get with Bong Joon-ho. I think if you're coming from, even from Parasite, which maybe is the closest to this, but especially something like The Host or, or mm. Snowpiercer or something like that. Um, well, Snowpiercer is pretty grim. Well, that's, it's a, it's a dark film, but it's also a big sci-fi adventure movie. Um, this is not that, uh, yeah. and is a, is a, is a lot more has a lot more kind of like specifically Korean cultural aspects of it too. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's enough genre stuff there that it's pretty translatable to an American audience. I also, again, I think that um, you can see enough of Bong Joo-ho's fingerprints on this movie that if you're a fan of his other work, I think you'll you'll most likely enjoy this as well. Yeah, I wouldn't see why. Yes, so I I highly recommend it. What do you have... For our next streaming homework. Yeah, uh, we are going into, um, for next week, we are going to watch the Sam Raimi superhero original uh, Darkman. Yes. Big thing in the 90s. Liam Neeson never saw it. Had the poster. Oh, really? I had the poster because when when I used to live in Driggs, Idaho, there was like a little video store there at the time that I used to go to. And there was like a poster box, you know? And I had, I bought like three of them or had somebody buy them for me. I had no money. Um, but one of them was either Darkman or Darkman 2. It might have been Darkman 2. And uh, Tremors 2. I had those posters. All right <laughs> on. Uh, I'm honestly uh, very excited for this. I've been wanting to watch Darkman for a long time. I uh-huh. uh, haven't seen it. Uh, but it is currently streaming uh, via Amazon. Amazon Prime, yes. All right. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about on this episode or previous, you can send us your thoughts at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Um, where we also post different news stories and things like that as well. And if anybody uh, is trying to find a place to listen to us, uh, if you don't like where you are right now, um, you can. We're also available on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere podcasts are sold. Stitcher and of course iTunes. Yes, uh, whichever one you're using, please leave us a star rating and a one sentence review. Helps people find the show. Uh, recommend Five us stars to- <laughs> if you're our friend. If you know anybody who likes podcasts and they're always looking for new ones, recommend us. Uh, send a, send your links in the social medias or whatever people do now in your work emails. 
just as a blast, uh, email blast to all your coworkers. Just put us underneath your uh, log line. CC all. Yes. Um, you can follow me individually on Twitter at VC Cassidy. You can also find me on Instagram at VC Cassidy as well. I also write reviews every once in a while for the Idaho State Journal. You can just look that up by going Idaho State Journal Cassidy Robinson or Idaho State Journal Movies, and you'll see my reviews there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also follow my art account, uh, where I draw pictures, uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic on Instagram. Yes. And I believe that is it for the episode. Now you're going to have to quote mother and it has to be in Korean. Perfectly pronounced. No, I am not going to do that because that would be offensive and I (laughs) don't even want it to be. It's every man's worst nightmare getting accused of something like that.